The team at Southern Skies Media take this moment to acknowledge the crew members of the United States Marine Corps MV-22 Osprey Dump Truck 11, who were tragically lost in an incident off the coast of Northern Australia on Friday, August 25th, 2023. We pay tribute to their skill and dedication and give thanks for their selfless service. This same crew had only a few days before represented their nation and the Corps with distinction at the Pacific Air Show Gold Coast, and we were privileged to have met them during this time. We express our deepest sympathies to their families, colleagues, and friends, and wish those who survived the crash a rapid and full recovery. Coming up on Plane Crazy Down Under, we touch base with the Pacific Air Show's Kevin Elliott for a wrap of the inaugural Gold Coast event. I think the economic benefit, notwithstanding the fact that obviously this is a shoulder season for the Gold Coast, has now become the busiest weekend of the year, and that's something that we are really proud of. We meet a World War II veteran pilot with more than a few amazing flying stories. So I've served in the Army, the Air Force and the Navy, and flown in four of the world's Navy, so wow. it's an incredible life, really. And the crew from the Westpac Lifesaver helicopter tell us about the vital role they play in keeping Queensland's beachgoers safe. 46 years we've been here on the Gold Coast, uh, 43 up on the sunny coast, so real community-based service uh, supporting the red and yellow army of the life-saving uh, movement. We love what we do, our boys are so professional and we just want to be out there every day saving lives. Some great content ahead from a wonderful weekend on the beautiful Gold Coast as we get plain crazy. Well, hi everyone. Welcome back to Plain Crazy Down Under, the show where we talk aviation. I'm Grant McCarran, and joining me this episode is Ben Ippolito, aka ATC Ben, who hasn't been on with us for quite some time. Ben, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I'm the uh, the super sub for the uh, this episode, and we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks for having us back. It's been quite a long time between drinks, as they say. I know, right? We've caught up socially, we've caught up at air shows, we've had a lot of fun, but we haven't stuck a microphone on you for some time. Um, yeah, but we have referenced the fact that you're sort of doing Adelaide area control approach departure, whatever you want to call it, from Melbourne. Yeah, it's, uh, so we moved the unit uh, back in 2018. They uh, they consolidated back to Melbourne. They used to be in Adelaide itself, and uh, now it's back at uh, Melbourne in the same facility that I used to work in before I left to uh, to go work up in the northwest. And so I'm actually sitting very close to where I left the first time around because <laughs> the console's been shuffled. That's right. Yeah, the good old technology where we can run the whole country from two locations effectively. But uh, yeah, and I understand that you've uh, been talking on the air once or twice with a couple of folks that have been on the show before, such as uh, Bass Sheffers and uh, Micah, I believe. Uh, yeah, being both Adelaide-based, we get to talk quite a, quite a fair bit uh, to those two uh, characters. I haven't yet used the phrase for control or amusement, do this, but uh, <laughs> I, have, I do constantly threaten to do that. But uh, no, they're, they're very, good, uh, very good operators, so I enjoyed having a chat with them on the air. All right. Well, that's a couple of beers each they owe you now. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, as you mentioned, mate, you are the super sub for this episode because the main man, Steve, unavailable 
Some of you may remember back in 2014, Steve was in a hospital for a knee surgery. We had some famous moments with, you know, pass me the morphine drip, mate, and uh, oh, nurse, another another sponge bath. Well, I'm sure he's looking forward to that level of frivolity. He's back in the hospital. It's something else. It's something major. Some of you may already know, but uh, I'm sure he'll tell us about it when he's back and talking with us. But right now, he's in recovery. It's been a pretty intense operation, so it may be another couple of episodes before he's back. We'll see. We'll maybe try and smuggle in a recording device so he can tell us where he's at. But yeah, we uh, definitely wish Steve all the best and a speedy recovery from uh, his rather major surgery. Yes, certainly, mate. Uh, My uh, father went through a similar thing earlier this year, so I definitely understand the road that he's on, and uh, hopefully it's going to actually go a lot faster than he thinks. Yeah. Because um, it was amazing how fast uh, it sort of bounces back after the first few days. Yeah. It's, uh, to quote Steve, it's now more of a mental race. The physical aspect is there, but it's plowing through. But he's got a lot of support from friends. There's been so many in the podcast world, both audience and fellow podcasters, who have reached out, which has been fantastic. He's been amazed by uh, the outpouring of folks online um, and via emails and calls and those of us who can have dropped by. Uh, we're looking forward to doing the same as he goes through recovery. Um, apparently, laughter may be the best medicine, but I'm going to have to be careful because in this situation, it may contribute and prolong his recovery, I'm told. Uh, yeah, you will be told, I think, to stop making him laugh for the first little bit, at least anyway. <laughs> Well, hopefully he's not listening to this until he's able to laugh once again. But uh, with that said, let's get on with the show. We have an episode, a number of items here. The first one we're going to do is Kevin Elliott, CEO of Pacific Airshows. He's going to give us a wrap up on the recent Gold Coast event. And then we're going to have Henry Young, a gentleman we uh, encountered at the Gold Coast event. He's young by name and young by nature, but his digits, he's almost 100 years old. He flew sea fires in World War II and he flew sea furies in the 1950s, being uh, a part of the uh, first group to fly from HMAS Sydney when they were working that operation up. And uh, then after that, we go to speak with uh, Gibbo and Mandy from the Westpac Lifesaver Rescue Helicopter Service who are based up at Caloundra in Queensland, but came down for the show. So they had this beautiful helicopter parked there. We got to have a good chat with them, uh, Gibbo being the chief pilot and Mandy being the fundraiser and events coordinator. Ben, we've had you under non-disclosure agreement to have a quick listen to help with this episode. Uh, you enjoyed the uh, content? It's going to be a, a great show. Excellent. Well, let's get straight onto it and we'll start with a chat with Kevin Elliott. Let's get into it. Kevin Elliott, uh, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, so to be joining you guys all the way from uh, my humble abode here in beautiful, sunny California, uh, where it's actually warmer than the Gold Coast, um, believe it or not. But, uh, yeah, missing you guys in Australia, that's for sure. Kevin, uh, before we go in and talk about uh, how, how things went with the Gold Coast Air Show, we we, we must mention the, uh, the the tragic circumstances around some friends of ours who've been involved uh, not only in the air show, of course, but have uh, were lost actually in the the tragic uh, Osprey crash just up north of Australia. That's uh, just terrible, terrible news. Yeah, I um, I I have no words for the sorrow and the sadness that we feel um, for 
the Marines and their families and, um, you know, the love that we have for them at the same time. It was um, obviously uh, an incredible weekend, an incredible high that we were all on coming off of the Gold Coast, the Osprey team, three of those individuals uh, in particular playing a very important role in, you know, leading that display um, and leading that team and uh, and to have that news of their tragic uh, accident was something that left all of our team in tears. Honestly, it was uh, not many times in my career that I think I've sat at my desk all day and cried. And I don't mean that uh, light. I don't say that lightly. It was it was a really tough tough day, and and our team, uh, you know, has now got a task ahead of it to try to you know do everything we can to you know remember those folks in a way that they'd be proud. Yeah, exactly. The uh, like for Steve and I, we'd we'd met. Uh, the crew on the Saturday night event and uh, like I'd been having some beers with with Smeagol and we, he and I'd been emailing about bringing him on the show and so yeah it, it did hit pretty hard uh, so I can totally understand where you're coming from on that one. Yeah he was a great he was a great human being I mean he supported Pacific Air Show I will never forget for the rest of my life the you know watching him um, you speak to his crew and talk to them about the importance of what they were doing at Pacific Airshow Gold Coast and how the, you know, the relationship between the United States and Australia was so important and how they were there to represent the finest, you know, the best of the Marines had to offer on this global, you know, sort of stage that we were putting forth. But, um, you know, that, that obviously, you know, made me feel some kind of way when it happened, but, you know, the effects of that will be, uh, stay with me, you know, far beyond, um, unfortunately, their time with us. So great people. They deserve to be remembered for their contributions. I think fired, you know, tens of thousands of people uh, on the Gold Coast. And it's just amazing that, um, you know, that they that they left the impression that they did. Yeah, exactly. And uh, please do keep us posted on um, on any way we can help in terms of m- memories and contributions. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be hopefully putting something together. Um, again, we obviously want to be extremely respectful. Uh, you know, we are just but a small, you know, part of this, the families and the Marines and the, those that work and serve with them. We have the utmost respect for the situation. You know, our team is 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 amongst the, um, you know, the lowest priorities. But to the extent that we can share the amazing footage of them doing what they love to do, um, which was being Marines and, you know, showing the the excellence and execution that they exemplified. I think we would love to just share that. So at some point we'll be putting forth um, some type of an, a thing on our website where folks could, you know, hopefully submit their memories and their photos uh, of those days and we can share those um, with their friends and family. That will be a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing to to honour their memory. And as you say, uh, not only uh, from the fact that they entertained us at the air show, but uh, – it's, uh, it's no small thing they do uh, serving their country that way and um, yeah, it's hard training and it's uh, unfortunately sometimes things like this happen and it's, it's always very, very hard to take. Yeah. You know, yeah, I was, I was, you know, I spent a lot of time, as you guys know, with, you know, some very influential people in the airshow business and one of them is Sean D. Tucker, who I think you guys had the privilege of meeting. Arguably, you know, the most famous airshow pilot you know, on the face of the earth. Right. Um, and Sean is always preaching about safety. And he's told me many, many times before that when you've seen as many friends as he has die, 
you take it extremely seriously, right? You know that every day that you go to work, that the risks are the highest that they can be. Um, and you have to take it seriously, right? Um, because even when things go right, things can go wrong. And, uh, you know, so I heard him in the back of my head, um, sort of, um, you know, when the news broke and, you know, later I actually had the, the opportunity to talk to him and, and I said, you know, that really resonated with me. And he said, it's the best part of our business and it's the worst part of our business. He said, because the best part of our business is you make these familial relationships and you meet these people in aviation and they become family, right? We are a family. We're a small global family. Um, and unfortunately, you know, there's also risk associated with that. It sometimes it means people don't come home and uh, that's the worst part of our business. Very true. Well, let's move on and let's talk about the uh, the success, the wonderful success of the Pacific Airshow Gold Coast. I mean, uh, we talk about the weather at the opener there and, and all that sort of stuff. It was just a perfect stage and a perfect event. And I, I want to congratulate you on, on staging it. It was uh, a really wonderful concept and I thought it went off really, really well. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, we couldn't have been more pleased. Obviously, the weather gods uh, sh- shone down upon us. I will say, though, that we researched the Almanac. We knew it was going to be beautiful four and a half years before we did it. Um, but it ultimately ended up being exactly as we envisioned it uh, to be. I think, you know, the community came out in droves. They, they, I think most of them, if not all of them, frankly, loved uh, the experience that they had. Um, and I was really gratified by all of the overwhelming support. In fact, Matt Hall actually texted me a few days after and said it was the most interaction that they've ever had in the history of their social media account. And they didn't have not one single negative comment on there. So of course there's always ways to improve. We're going to be the most critical when it comes to the experience, but we were very, very pleased um, by the first, you know, the first inaugural event there on the Gold Coast. And I think it can only get better from here. Well, that's a, that's an interesting point, isn't it, Kevin? Um, obviously this was very much a learning experience. You've, you've come across to a different country to put on, an event that you've run so successfully in California. What, what sort of things did you learn about the Australian crowds? Did you find some differences in the way they interact with people? Was it there was there similarities with the way uh, they interacted compared to the event in California? Well, I think that there was a lot of similarities, far more similarities, I think, than anybody anticipated. Certainly, I had sort of envisioned that there would be similarities, but of course, you know, it was you know, uh, taking all the anecdotes of, you know, Australians are going to just drink this whole place into the ground, right? You guys like your, uh, like your beer apparently, but honestly, the crowd were totally respectful and very, very, uh, subdued. You notice it's very, very family friendly event. So all of the things that, you know, we see in Huntington beach, um, were also true in Australia. I think, uh, the first day we, we, you know, we got a little bit of flack about having the music a little bit too loud. Um, and frankly, that was probably just, you know, some calibration stuff with our tech team and getting it just right. But we heard that feedback and we were able to adjust that going into Saturday and Sunday. So these are all learning things. Um, uh, we have a little bit of a different uh, physical construct of the beach there in terms of the depth that we're working with, which presents some technical challenges and things that we were working through. But I think, you know, generally speaking, very successful, but lots of similarities between Huntington Beach and Gold Coast. One of the things that's most striking, and you guys probably saw this, was did you notice that when everybody left, and it was a massive crowd, I mean, the likes of which they've never seen on, on, on Surfer's Paradise and on the Gold Coast beaches before, not one stitch of trash anywhere to be seen. Not one. Um, a really cool thing when you think about that. I mean, it just shows you the caliber of people that came down to experience the event. And those are the type of people you have to be proud to host, 
in Surfer's Paradise. Yeah, I, I think the um, the feedback that you uh, – I really wanted to compliment you on that because taking that feedback about the sound, which is um, – that was something that we'd heard too about the Friday event, but you reacted so quickly to that and adapted. And I think that's a real credit to your organization. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, we'll definitely take the criticism, you know, where it's where it's due. Um, I think a lot of people took the piss out of us in the lead up to this event, you know, that we were the biggest carpet bagging bastards that ever showed their face in Australia. But I'm glad that people that ultimately came to the event understood what it was. You know, we we obviously work very, very hard to put forth the best lineup that we can. Uh, you guys know we don't control the Australian military. We don't control the United States military. We can try our best, but ultimately we get what we get. And uh, I think we, you, you know, we we we've heard all the feedback, good, bad, and indifferent. We will always try to integrate that into our event delivery. And I think we've made at least you know a few tens of thousands of hopefully brand ambassadors and fans out there that said, hey, there was, you know, they got it ninety five percent right, and we can't wait to go back next year. Yeah, there was a number of people that I've met and I've heard of who their kids have now seen an air show for the first time. Uh, in fact, a friend of mine in the Air Force, his kids now want to attend more air shows, including regional ones. So big tick there, huge tick. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate that because, you know, that's that's the messaging, right? This is not a competitive thing to any of the other shows in Australia. If anything, what Pacific Air Show does is it takes the air show to the people. Right. Rather than asking the people to drive out to the air show and you appeal to a massive non-endemic audience to aviation, right? Kids and parents and families that never thought about driving to Geelong, but they certainly will go down to the beach, right? And they watch the airplane fly by and that makes all the sound, but they don't really know what it is. And that curiosity leads them to learn more, to become more inquisitive, and ultimately to take the trek to Geelong, to go to Illawarra, to, to go to Tamora, to do these things and to become invested. And that's where you ultimately your recruiting and your, you know, your aviation careers and, you know, and you end up with uh, ultimately, hopefully people like us <laughs> that grow up and love aviation for all of the good that it can do for a community. Yeah. Well, my wife was uh, one of the folks on the Saturday down the thronging hordes on the beach. Uh, she was with a friend <laughs> down there and uh, got to meet a number of people around who were also new to air shows, uh, locals and people who had traveled. Uh, yeah. They, the, one of the comments was, uh, could they talk metric, please? Because there was a lot of gallons <laughs> and miles per hour and things like that. Uh, but also the the other one was uh, occasionally it was said, oh, have a listen to the distinctive sound of the whine of the gunpoints. And it was like, what are we listening for and how do we hear it? <laughs> but everyone, aside from that, everyone was absolutely loving it. And uh, the Super Hornet at the end just blew everyone away because I don't think many people have seen a Super Hornet up that close except perhaps at Skyfire in um, Brisbane. I think it's Skyfire or Riverfire where they have the the uh, RAF aircraft over the uh, the river. But to see it, like even a jaded, seen many air shows person like myself, I really enjoyed watching it low over the water and how that display was just right there. It was very good. Yeah, and adding to that the thrill of the flares, you know, yes. the flare dump. Uh, I thought really added to the whole display. The RAF, that display was incredible. 
Um, but you know, to your point, how cool is it that you can bring your wife and your kids and, you know, folks that again, ordinarily would just be fighting you tooth and nail about going to an air show and spending the day on the hot runway and they can't wait to go back next year. Right. And that's, I always use my, my poor mother as the example, right? My mother and my sister, I'm like, my mother and my sister are the two biggest fans of Pacific air show. They don't know anything about airplanes. And I think that right there is, is the magic of it. Um, and by the way, with respect to the uh, you know the uh, unit conversion, we've been working on that. So we got Wayne Boggs, a millipede and a centipede. And he assures us that by next year, he's going to have it all figured out. If he can get the boots on both, he's doing fine. Yeah, exactly. And I think even in explaining to the crowd that uh, you know in aviation we do use uh, metric, we do use a lot of imperial measurements still, you know, feet and all that sort of stuff. So. Um, that just yeah. puts people in the know. But I think anecdotally too, when you talk about brand ambassadors, I mean, I went to buy some merchandise towards the end. You couldn't get any. It was all sold out. I was hoping to get a couple of T-shirts for my grandkids and uh, no, no, uh, nothing was left. So that, that's got to be good too. It, it's, it was just really good to see how well people from that area and I guess from further afield uh, have really embraced it. So it was a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was re- reassuring and reinforced our ultimate you know, decision-making. There wasn't really a person that I ran across in the four and a half years that didn't say, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be just great for the Gold Coast. It's perfect. The Gold Coast is perfect for Pacific Air Show. You know, you hear all these sort of stories and uh, and comments and things and you onboard them and you just hope, well, gosh, I hope people come out. I hope they like it. Um, and ultimately, you know, I have to say I was um, I was really pleased and you know, our team is really full of energy about what what can be. I think the the city and the mayor and you know the council and the residents. That's the other important thing, right? Like for the residents to go, hey, we totally embrace this, right? It's not just some event that they're pissed because you know it creates a couple of little you know some some inconveniences with respect to parking, right? Which there's just nothing you can or uh, I mean with respect to traffic, there's n- not much you can do about that, right? Because we have to set up the event. We obviously do everything we can to, to minimize that, but we want the community to go, hey, notwithstanding that, we absolutely love it. It's our favorite day of the year, and we absolutely can't wait for this to come back every single year. And I think we we achieved that goal. I, I hope we did, and, and I hope we continue to build on that year over year. I think people will adapt to that. I mean, we have the Grand Prix, for example, the Formula One Grand Prix down here in Melbourne every year and have done for probably, what, Grant, the last 25 years <laughs> Uh, and people have learned to adapt with similar sort of inconveniences and, you know, it's for the greater good and, and this is the first year for you. Down here in Melbourne, I guess we understand that a little bit more because of events like that. But up there in the Gold Coast, I mean, I think they will adapt and they'll understand better in coming years that um, this is a necessary part of, of, of staging any sort of large public event like that. Did you have um, requirements, you know, were you, were the, was the government happy with the way that they brought tourists in? Obviously, there'd be requirements to have, you know, hotel beds filled and all that sort of stuff. Have you had that sort of feedback from from government? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're still waiting on, obviously, the final reporting and everything, which may take, you know, a few months to gather all the data and put it all together. It's uh, way over my head. But, you know, some of the anecdotes that we heard was, you know, occupancy in the high 80s. Um, which for the Gold Coast is, you know, better than Christmas. Um, And, uh, you know, when you have occupancy that's anything over 85, you start looking at building more hotels. And uh, I'm not saying they're building more hotels for Pacific Air Show specifically, but, I mean, those are great, great numbers. And I think probably beyond um, certainly what people were hoping, the economic impact numbers I suspect will be massive. Um, to your point, when you walked around and looked at all the cafes and the, the restaurants and 
all of the things that were going on. There was not, you know, it was just absolutely chalkers as far as you could walk, as far as you could see. Sean Tucker told me he picked up a lime bike and he rode, again, pardon me, but he rode two miles in each direction. And he said, and it was just absolutely packed in each direction. So I think the effects of that, the economic benefit, notwithstanding the fact that obviously this is a shoulder season for the Gold Coast. So this is not a time when they're typically, you know, uh, even registering occupancy numbers that they would be proud to talk about um, has now become the busiest weekend of the year. Um, and that's something that we are really proud of. One of the questions that I've, I've fielded a lot, I've, I've actually done some radio interviews about the air show uh, since the event. And one of the questions I get constantly is, did you have to buy a ticket to go in or could, you know, you could just sit on the beach? Um, I have my opinions on, on what the air show's attitude to that is, uh, you know, that it's a positive thing either way. But, but Kevin, can you address that issue? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's pretty transparent, right? Like we obviously would love people to purchase a ticket. It supports the air show. Uh, it supports all the things that we want to do. Unfortunately, these airplanes don't run on thank yous. Um, you know, they run on fuel and, you know, fuel is expensive um, and, you know, hotels and logistics. And, you know, I mean, it's just it's a very costly thing to do. And so the folks that support the event by purchasing a ticket, we're very, very thankful and grateful for them because ultimately that is that is how we make it happen. But we understand that also not, you know, purchasing a ticket is not necessarily for everybody or not everybody's able to do that. And so for us, it's important to also create capacity, you know, outside of the fenced area. What we try to do is create a value proposition of buying a ticket, right? If you buy a ticket, you're going to have access to clean restrooms. You're going to have that great announcer feed. You're going to be able to get the signed autographs from the performers and see the jumpers come down and land right in front of you and have that whole interactive experience. Um, and, uh, you know, that's ultimately what you're paying for. Again, we want to make sure that there's something for everybody from the guy who wants to spend $2,000 and, you know, have the oysters shucked right there, right in front of them, you know, to somebody who wants to bring their family down and, you know, sit down there and watch for free. The air show is for everybody. Um, and that is the messaging that we're going to continue with. We get a lot of people saying, you know, well, why purchase a ticket when I can just look up and watch the air show for free? And I think that that's kind of a poor attitude. Um, I think, you know, you purchase a ticket because you support the event and you want to go. You wouldn't watch a concert from outside the fence. Um, you certainly could try, but it wouldn't be the best experience. Yeah, the uh, like my wife with her friend, they were in the general admission area down the front on the sand. And, yeah, they also said that the access to the bathrooms is a good thing because having been to the Gold Coast for a long time and uh, her friend lives on the Gold Coast and she's, she's like, yes, you always need to make sure there's good space. But – as you said, it wasn't just the general admission area, the the VIP areas, the uh, the paid for the for the oyster shucking area, and uh, the bars and so on. We spent a bit of time on both the Saturday and the Sunday out of the show. Uh, we decided to go out and see what it was like, or go and uh, catch up with some folks. And we were walking along the uh, Esplanade area, the, the just behind the beach, and. It was packed. There were people walking all over the place, enjoying the show. Top of Kavalav, totally packed with people. All the balconies had people in them. So yeah, there was it was sold out general admission. It was a massive crowd, and then there was all the additionals. So you certainly and, and also the consumption of beer. We gave it a jolly good go. My, my defense and media friends and I, we gave it a jolly good go. I'll, I'll assure you of that. Um, I needed to straighten out. Well, you know, not so much straighten out, but at least, uh, you know, not have some booze for a few days after I got back. <laughs> it was awesome. 
Yeah, well, it's it, the the lift that the air show brings to the surrounding businesses is is really you know that's the important part, right? I mean, obviously, we want to put on a great experience. We want people who come to the event to have a good time. That's how we make the event sustainable. But you know what makes it what makes it valuable to the businesses in the community is the economic effects that it brings, right? Everybody, you know, as an example, you know, they flow out of the event. And, you know, we don't want everybody to go straight to the straight to the G, right? Let's not all go straight to the tram. Let's filter out into Broad Beach and surfers and go have dinner, right? Have dinner, wait for the traffic to die down, you know, and everybody goes home safely. I think that's one of the things that, you know, the benefits that this brings, not only from a brand recognition standpoint, but from a value to the community standpoint cannot be understated. And, you know, the, the crime statistics, which were zero, um, you know, no arrest attributed to anything having to do with the air show. When you bring that many people down and you can make that same, that claim, you go, Hey, this is the kind of crowd that we should totally be proud about inviting into our town. Well, Kevin, um, now having worked in the air show industry briefly myself, I know that, uh, planning stages out many, many years, and I'm sure you're in the planning ne- even now for the next Gold Coast event. But, uh, before that, of course, now you've got your traditional event coming up, at Huntington Beach. Yeah, it's Huntington Beach is going to be absolutely crazy this year. It's not too late to uh, book a ticket and come on over uh, to Huntington Beach. I, I just, um, you know, have to say it will be uh, an insane, insane lineup. I don't know that we've ever had a lineup. I, um, there's a there's an old commercial here in the United States. It's a mattress company, and the uh, it's two brothers, and they would record these radio commercials. And one of the brothers would always be uh, he was the accountant, right? And then the other brother was the sales guy. And the sales guy would always say, you know, if you don't like it, it's going to be free. And then you'd have the accountant guy going, no, stop, we can't, we're going to go out of business. And so that's sort of like me and Ken Ashmore, our director of air operations. It's like, well, you know, we get another jet calling saying, well, we want to come to Huntington Beach. And I say, fit them in. And he goes, <laughs> where? We can't fit them in. There's no more room. And so um, it's it's going to be really cool. We're having a good time. Obviously, we've got um, – I think it kind of crept up on us, right, the reality of getting home and saying, hey, we're going to be building another event in 20 days. Um, but uh, luckily, we've done this one. There's a good, there's a good template for us to, uh, to, to stamp out. And we're excited to get this one under our belt and then really turn our, our focus into elevating everything across our portfolio for 2024. Now, Kevin, uh, before we wrap up, uh, people can't uh, tell us, of course, this is audio, but we're, we're actually doing this via video. And I just noticed uh, there over your left shoulder a rather distinctive uh, Thunderbirds flight suit. We, we need to get the story of that before we go. What a, what a wonderful trophy to have in your trophy room. That is indeed my uh, my prized possession. Um, although, you know, if I may uh, digress for a second, I think I might have to put it right up there with my 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 VMM three six three coin yeah. right here. Uh, uh, got that that sitting right here on my desk. But but that that flight suit right there uh, was given to me by uh, Major Jason Markson. He was the advanced pilot narrator for the Thunderbirds. Uh, number eight, he was the what we say the last of the great eights uh, because the eights now um, uh, they they trade out every year. And Jason uh, was eight for almost three seasons uh, because of the COVID holdover and stuff. And so he was the last of the great eights. And uh, during ICAS uh, on his final um, you know final sort of farewell, he laid that in my room on my bed and basically gave me his flight suit. So I hang it in my office in honor. 
Uh, it's probably the neatest thing that anybody's ever given me, maybe outside of my son uh, that my wife gave me. Um, uh, you know, uh, there's no competition. I, I think I have to take the flight suit, you know, hands down. <laughs> little, little, little joke. Yeah, of course, no, I'm well. take that stuff, but no, it's, it's exactly. Now, also, I think I did tell you guys that there may or may not be a photo of me trying on the flight suit. Uh, but that's, of course, not for public <laughs> consumption, so don't ask. I'm sure it pops up occasionally when people need you to get something you don't want to do, right? <laughs> I can see people Googling it now. Kevin Elliott, where's your preferred flight suit? Please tell me that image is not on the internet because uh, I assure you nobody will be paying me to see it. <laughs> and we would be exactly the same if we were ever lucky enough to score a ride here with the roulettes, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, you, exactly. you, you've met us You've met us now, Kevin. You know we're not uh, slight of frame, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> we're not We're not Leith Kai's normally strapped into the back of those aircraft, I can assure you. But uh, one day I might get back down to that fighting weight. But wait, for now, uh, Huntington Beach, yes, that's taking all your time. But what can you tell us about Gold Coast 2024? And beyond. Well, I think Gold Coast 2024 is going to be um, it's going to be great. I think now what you have with everybody who attended, you know, they've they've left as brand ambassadors. That was our goal, right? It wasn't to necessarily sell everything that we had. Uh, it was to make sure that everybody that came had a great experience and left going. That was awesome. We got to tell our friends that we want to go back next year. And so I think what we'll see is we'll see an even bigger crowds. Um, which means, you know, an enhanced and expanded hospitality offerings, more corporate suites, um, more corporate involvement, um, certainly more activations along the Esplanade, uh, potentially a longer show. We were about four hours and 15 minutes this year. Um, we pushed that out probably to four and a half, four hours and 45 minutes, um, give everybody a little bit more. Um, we obviously learned a lot. Uh, and I think there will be additional activations that we look to bring into this. I'm um, not at liberty to discuss what those will be, but suffice to say that I think there will be things for endemics and also non-endemics to aviation that will be like, we want to be on the Gold Coast on Pacific Air Show weekend um, and potentially stay, you know, arrive early and, and maybe stay a little later. So it's going to be pretty cool what we've got up our sleeves. Well, uh, we can't wait to get back up there again. Kevin Elliott, the CEO of the Pacific Air Show, we, we really appreciate you uh, staging the event once again. We thank you for your time and for having us up there. It was a really, uh, a really great event, and we really look forward to seeing you again here on the Gold Coast in 2024. Yeah, I'll be there in uh, November, and we're already underway in all of our conversations. So appreciate you guys getting the word out and being such great supporters of the aviation community. And uh and to all of your listeners out there, thanks for embracing us and Pacific Air Show. And hopefully we can continue to, to be a great contributor to, you know, not only the country, but also the aviation community in Australia. We're very uh, humbled to have been welcomed uh, so wonderfully by your, by your uh, you know, your listeners. And, and uh, so that's it. Yeah, thank you very much. Welcome aboard the High Fly Media Podcast, dedicated to sharing the stories and experiences of the amazing people who make aviation happen. From pilots like me, to engineers, air traffic controllers and others, I'll explore their personal journeys, the challenges they've faced and the triumphs they've achieved. My name is Damien and I'll be your host. Whether you're a seasoned aviation enthusiast or new to the field, I invite you to join me as we take off on this journey of discovery. Subscribe now on your favourite podcast platform and leave a review to help spread the word. You can find me at highflymedia.com. That's H-I-F-L-Y media.com. Uncovering the people and passion behind aviation, one story at a time.
This is Extended, the ETOPS Aviation Podcast. Here's Peter Johnson. We're in front of the Merlin. Can you tell us a little bit about the aircraft? What aircraft did you fly before? Uh, Suhoi 22. Right, okay. That's quite an interesting aircraft. Mm-hmm. What was that like to fly? Faster. Yeah. <laughs> Gareth Stringer. Make no bones about it. This is still a very capable aircraft. The cockpit's very cramped. You've got leg restraints on. You're sat on a seat that's got explosives in it. Tim Robinson. Also the A400M, got to go inside and uh, have a poke around with. Just uh, taking me on the trip of our lifetime in a F-18F Super Hornet. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended. G'day, this is Owens Up. Just a quick note to let you know that my new ebook, 50 Tales of Flight, is now out on Amazon and iTunes. Find 50 Tales and my latest updates at owensup.com. In the meantime, sit back, relax, enjoy the show with Grant and Steve. You're listening to Plane Crazy Down Under. Thanks very much for joining us on this episode. Ben, how good was that chat with Kevin? It was great. Uh, looks like I actually missed a great air show uh, up in the Gold Coast. Uh, unfortunately, couldn't make it happen with uh, with work commitments. But it uh, looks like you guys all had a really great time up there on the beach. Uh, it looked like a, an awesome show. It certainly was. And I scored one of the best photos I've taken in quite a while. I got the uh, Super Hornet going vertical just as its flares popped out. So, uh, yeah, that oh, was awesome. Yeah, there a little bit of bragging rights there. Uh, I mean, I know everyone else has done it, but for me, wow. <laughs> That's right. Oh, uh, yeah, yes. You've got to take about a 1,000 shots to actually get that particular one. Uh, it took me about 15. So, yeah, I saw uh, Yeah, I did did manage to, to visit In Spirit with some of the coverage uh, that I've seen uh, and com- particularly uh, a shout-out to the our own Royal Australian Air Force who uh, shared their Super Hornet demo on YouTube. So that was awesome to ride along in the uh, almost backseat of the uh, the Super Hornet and uh, and see the the show from that perspective. Fantastic! Yeah, I must look that one up. So was it was it a three sixty degree camera so you could look to the sides? No, just multi shot GoPros. So nice, but you're still there being able to see, and they had a couple of good angles of the wings, so you could see the wing do its magic in some of those hard pulls. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty scary when you see that flex. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, mate, let's uh, let's move back in time a little bit, about oh, you know, eighty years, shall we say? And let's play our chat with Henry Young, Sea Fire and Sea Fury pilot. Henry Young, welcome to Plane Crazy Down Under. You're young at heart, but you've uh, experienced. You're a World War Two vet. Uh, what brings you here to the show? Well, because I was invited. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good reason, isn't it? <laughs> and I can't think of a nicer invitation. You know, I've, I've had a ball. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm glad you're having fun. What inspired you to enlist during World War II? Uh, well, I, what inspired me? Uh, I don't think I had any inspiration. I, th- I think I was uh, absolutely devastated the fact that I was too young to join up. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I was still at school. <laughs> so when, when did you join? Uh, when, I was, when I was 18. And... Uh, uh, actually, I was in New Zealand at the time, although I was born in Australia. And uh, when the Japs attacked, the uh, New Zealanders panicked because yep. all the the army was in the Egypt, the navy was in the Mediterranean, and 
the Air Force was in England and all they had was the young 18-year-olds. Yeah. So they uh, just said, everybody who's 18, um, you're in the army. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, no. <laughs> no, really, it's incredible, really. And, and I listed in the, in the fleet air arm, which the New Zealand um, supplied pilots to the Navy. Yep. And uh, they said, well, you know, that you can forget about that, you're in the Army. So I did uh, six months in the Army behind a machine gun in, in Wellington. And uh, the Navy said, what happened to these beautiful young men, you promised? And they said, they're in the Army and they're staying there <laughs> until, the, until the Americans get down there. So the Americans did get down there. And then they sent me to the, because the, the Navy had said, well, at least you could have put them in the Air Force. And so they took me out of the Army and put me in the Air Force. <laughs> so I've served in the Army, the Air Force and the Navy and flown in four of the world's Navy. So wow. it's an incredible life, really. That, so you've come out of the Army and the machine gun in Wellington. You've gone to the Air Force. Where did they have you in the Air Force and what did you start flying? Oh, well, then they sent me on a passenger ship to, to um, England. And when I got to England, uh, it's the Navy, and the Navy is, uh, <laughs> when you're a Navy man, you're, you're Navy first, last, and all the time. Correct. And anyway, they, they, uh, they said then, what a good idea it would be if we selected some of these young blokes that are coming through and sent them to the, new, to the United States. And so when the two fleets got together, if they'd been trained in the United States, we'd speak the same language. So that's what they did. They sent me to to um, United States okay. on uh, Boeing Siemens. That's what I flew first. Yep. yep. Which is a you know it's a, a better version of the Tiger Moth. <laughs> it's very it's very rugged. I think even I, I think even I could land a t I could land a Siemens and, and walk away from it. Not sure about it. Not sure about a Tiger Moth. Well, though. they fly themselves first. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, then we went down to Pensacola, and you know we kept on going and bigger and better planes than Dauntless, and then. Uh, the Corsair, yeah. and uh, finally, you know, that was, um, I'm 20 by now, 20, 13 months in the United States as a 20-year-old. That's a You can imagine what that's like. Yeah. And we were veterans. We'd been bombed in London, we'd flown, we'd gone across the Pacific and the Atlantic, and, yep. and yeah. we were veterans. I reckon. <laughs> That's impressive. So you were flying the uh, the Corsair with the Americans. Yeah. Did, was that where you did your first deck landings in Pensacola? No, no. Really, the uh, it's it's tricky this deck landing. United States and the, and the Royal Navy. The, the same signal with your arms down in the Royal Navy means that you are too low. In the United States Navy is. It's a command. Go lower. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yeah, not confusing so that, at all. Yeah, that wouldn't cause much confusion, would it? No. <laughs> well, it's embarrassing. <laughs> so, so after the Corsairs, did you go back to the UK? Yeah, then and we went back to, to England. Yeah. And actually, by the time then, because I'm still very young, I'm, I'm in just 21 then, and that's when the uh, the German war started, stopped. Yeah. And uh, we were ordered to go out to the Pacific, but by the time that we got round to it, they dropped the bomb. And, mm. and so I'm back home in New Zealand, 12 months on the land. And then three of the blokes that had flown with me during the war 
said, uh, Australia's starting a fleet air arm, we should go across and join up. They'd love us because the Royal Navy had said, we'll supply the air crew for the first two years while you train up Air Force pilots to the Navy standard. Yeah. And the Air Force would hate that. <laughs> yeah, hello. We don't fly off boats. <laughs> but nevertheless, what they did, but they love us, which they did. Yeah. And uh, so then we can, we were then sent on a passenger ship. Yep. Again, six months, six weeks, six, not six months, six weeks on a passenger liner to England as a first class passenger. Oh. As a 21-year-old. Oh, the hard life. <laughs> <laughs> well, in actual fact, I met my wife on the on the ship because oh, awesome. it was full of, of young girls going to England. And uh, the Navy had short-term girls and long-term girls. And the <laughs> short-term girls are more fun. <laughs> and, well, you're going around from A to B to C. And, and uh, so I had a short-term girl, but I had enough sense to get the... Uh, I admired my my future wife in this pool, and I had enough sense to get her her um, telephone number and, and details for Sydney, and put her in the Sydney book. In other words, my, most most people, not Navy people, you have yeah. your um, A for Adelaide, <laughs> S for Sydney. Excellent. And I put her in the top of my Sydney list, yeah. and. Uh, uh, then we went to England and we were training up for to bring out the Sydney to we commissioned the Sydney yep. 805 squadron yep. on, on Sea Furies nice. and the Sea Furies are wonderful oh, it's, it, it's all engine it isn't it the, the last of the piston engine aircraft and it was the at that stage the, the most powerful fighter in the world yep. you know so that uh, it's not often that the Navy has that, but the Navy had the, the, the best fighter in the world. Yep. And they were gorgeous planes, and yeah. uh, I loved it. Anyway, we were in Northern Ireland working up, and uh, I'm on a Cinex ex exercise, and suddenly my engine stopped. Because oh. <laughs> oh. that, that, that was the Bristol uh, Centaurus, was in Northern it? Ireland, in, yeah. yes, in Eglinton. Eglinton, Northern, Northern Ireland. And we're on an ex on the, had a low overcast, and uh, I was too, too low to bail out. And I'm looking around for an airfield, to, not an airfield, a paddock to land in. And this is 10 acre paddocks yep. in the um, Spurred Mountains with all uh, stone fences, except for one paddock. <laughs> <laughs> which had a clump of trees at the end and I thought there's a gap there I'd just get through and I knew as damn it did get through but I hit it with my my port wing which tipped me over and that's when I lost my starboard wing just sheared off then I did a cartwheel and sheared off my my other wing and then I did a half half loop and landed on my tail heading the way I'd come in so you know it was spectacular yeah. witnessed by the vet who was drenching cattle in the paddock next door, and he got me, me out and he stitched me up. Actually, the, they took me to a crofter's cottage and uh, he wanted water to, because I'd cut my head open on the, on the gun site. Yeah. He wanted water and 
she said no that the only water hot water we've got is the water we've just put on for the poach and he said that'll do yeah and so um, the nurses back in the airfield said how much they enjoyed taking out the oatmeal out of their hair with tweezers <laughs> <laughs> but anyway I, I got through all that oh and that's when I got actually three weeks leave because it was over Christmas yep and uh, uh, where do you go with the, your head in bandages for three weeks and there's only one place that's the ski fields because everybody goes around and not everybody but people go around and crutches and arms and slings and so you fit right in <laughs> and I'd blend in I knew I'd blend in so anyway I'm in London organizing all this to go to Austria and who should I see walking along the footpath but my good wife <laughs> you're all sorts Excellent. of trouble Excellent. <laughs> well she wasn't my wife at that stage uh, but I knew her and, yeah. and uh, she she was that put her in, in she was earning pocket money over Christmas in Simpsons of Piccadilly and they'd put her in the, in the front there as a honey trap to get people in. <laughs> well, it seems to have worked. <laughs> so anyway, we walked around to the, the bank together. She wanted money and, and because we dawdled, then we got a, a taxi back to her work. And I asked her then whether she'd ever been kissed in Piccadilly, and she said no, she hadn't been kissed. <laughs> so we fixed that, and that's when I moved her up the top of my city. <laughs> to the keeper list. Nice work. Yeah. Well, so, you've, um, no, that's you know, how, how it all happened. But that yeah. was three months after I'd been in England. You know, she'd yeah. been there for three months, and where shall we meet? In Piccadilly, a yeah, week before of all the Christmas. places. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, all these years later, there's been so much advance in aviation and technology. What do, you, what do you make of what you see these days with aircraft and military aircraft and how they operate these days compared to the old times? I can't get over the increase in power. In other yeah. words, they, I've, I've been watching it all yesterday and today when they put the plane up and they can virtually just hang there yeah. on their pop. You know, we could never, ever do that. You know, I'm waiting for them to stall and they don't, you know, and then they just turn over and come down again. And, you know, that that to me, because oh, I was in the aviation um, aero team in the Navy, okay, where we used to do, all, you know, our, our little bit. Yeah. But, you know, we could never do what they can do today. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's when you ask me, what's the difference? The difference is power. Power. Yeah. Yeah. Power. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And that's what I loved about the Sea Fury, that it had more power than anything else. It's <laughs> no, a beautiful aircraft, a beautiful for sure. <laughs> well, Henry Young, thank you so much for your time. We'll let you get back to enjoying some of the uh, power, speed and other aircraft that are on display today. We've got the L39s just doing their show. So, Henry, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great to meet you. Well, it's been a wonderful time here and thank you for having me. Uh, I've had a ball and, and uh, uh, it's been terrific and thank you for having me. Pretty amazing story there. How about that crash? It's just incredible. Like the, the things that that's happened during his life. It's it's just amazing stories. Indeed. And the lady who was with him, escorting him around, she's known him for quite a while. He's stayed at her place before and after, and she said she'd never really heard him open up like that about meeting his wife. It's just amazing how that happens sometimes, eh? Yeah, just she said something must have just triggered that memory, and he was he was really enjoying the chat. We could have spoken for a lot longer, but uh, we had a limited window, and uh, there was other shows, other parts of the show that he wanted to watch. 
But uh, mate, let's move on a bit further down the beach, a bit further down the uh, the walkway, the Esplanade area, where the uh, Westpac Lifesaver Rescue Helicopter Service had parked their aircraft. So we can chat with Gibbo, the chief pilot, and with Mandy, the fundraising and events coordinator. Paul Gibbo Gibson, uh, you know, in, in Australia we do some great call signs. It's usually based around your name, isn't it, unless you've done something monumental? Pretty much lack of originality, I reckon. <laughs> We're good at that. Well, Gibbo, mate, uh, I understand you flew this beautiful, uh, which one is it, EC-135? That's correct, Airbus EC-135. I'm an Airbus captain, but uh, on Cessna wages. <laughs> and it's got this big fan at the top for keeping you cool. Yeah, I, I need it. I need all the help I can get at my age. <laughs> so, mate, I, I'm told that you actually flew this helicopter helicopter in onto the pad here in the middle of, of surface on the beach area. Yeah, they uh, asked me to uh, to get involved in that and I'm the chief pilot so I had to approve that, do the usual risk assessments and death by paperwork but uh, yes. oh, look, I, I had a couple of couple of looks around I thought well I've landed in smaller places than this, uh, not in the centre of suburbia but uh, look in the grand scheme of things it was a pretty uneventful landing from a, from a pilot's perspective. I know everyone's going oh that was pretty dicey this and the other but that was a pretty standard uh, approach and, and landing and we didn't mess around just put Australia on the ground minimise the sand blowing around but the guys and girls have done a great job you know, out with uh, the old leaf blowers getting all the yeah. sand as much as they could but uh, there was still a bit of a, well my son was actually here, he joined me, he wasn't in the helicopter but first he we shut the helicopter and go, Dad, you got sand in my mouth. Because you, you're, you're a big mouth. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's it quite a spectacle by, by all accounts. Of course, we're here with the uh, Westpac Lifesaver helicopter, and of course, uh, you guys would be very busy most of the time. Uh, this is a good opportunity to get out and you know, really uh, show people uh, what it is you do and, and um, you know, hopefully raise some funds. Yeah, 46 years we've been here on the Gold Coast, uh, a couple of less years, 43 up on the sunny coast. Um, so real community-based uh, service uh, supporting the red and yellow army of the life-saving uh, movement, uh, yeah, week in, week out type thing. Uh, Westpac, I think it's the world's longest sponsorship. Mm. Uh, it's not a fully funded uh, operating um, uh, model, so we do uh, events like this are our opportunity to get in the, in the community and rattle a tin, as they say, yep. and uh, a few shekels here and there, so it does go a long way. It all, it all does count. Yeah, definitely. and. Uh I've got long memories being in Queensland for like 10 years or so, living living in Brisbane and just always seeing a Westpac yellow and red kind of helicopter float. Yeah, it's pretty synonymous with uh, certainly the gold and Sunshine Coast, protecting the beachgoers and making sure people get home for their families every, every day, so that's really what we're here for. The EC-135 is a pretty versatile platform and you see a lot of them around in Australia. Um, how do you find it for the operations that you do? Yeah, good question. Uh, we've transitioned through the service for 46 years. I mean, I think you see photos of Bell 47s and, and jet ranges and long ranges and uh, then squirrels. Uh, when I first started 10, 11 years ago, we had squirrels and transitioned to BO-105. You mm -hmm. probably remember the mighty yep. 105. Oh, yeah. uh, but the 135, yeah, very capable aircraft, uh, very well engineered. It's lovely to fly. Um, just the right size for operation. You know, we're not an EMS, you know, taking people to and from from hospitals, so we don't carry doctors and paramedics on board. So for the role we conduct uh, support of the life-saving fraternity, uh, it, it is a very well-suited uh, aircraft, yeah, absolutely. So during the air show, we've seen the demo, another one of these aircraft, obviously not this one, because yes. you're not going to launch out of here too, too quickly. But uh, yeah, so they're out there doing the, the classic rescuing a, a downed uh, swimmer or things like that. Yeah, uh, look, we, it's, it's something we practice, so day in, day in, it's our bread and butter role. In fact, I think hear it over my shoulder, um, my ear's pretty tuned into it. Yeah. So yeah, we come into uh, a, a 60 foot uh, hover 
um, as we approach the, uh, the the person in distress, we're actually winching the patient down as we approach, but the pilot levels off at 60 feet. It's a, sort of that height that does provide a little bit of safety margin, and also you've got to think about the downwash of the aircraft pushing the person who's actually trying to stay alive back under the water. <laughs> whereas you know, years ago they used to. In fact, when I first started in smaller aircraft, that they we used to come out uh, and hover over the patient like 10 feet, somewhere to jump out yeah. of the helicopter. Yeah. And of course, that was all right in jet range. The downwash was significantly less than, a, than an EC-135. So, uh, yeah, we've changed our uh, procedure over the years. And uh, yeah, the 60-foot winch height is, uh, and, and it's, it's proven very successful. Keeps the aircraft a little bit safer. Uh, you know, the, the aircraft's not getting engulfed in salt water spray. Mm-hmm. So it's got a, a number of benefits other than just pure safety. And how do you go, like the classic scenario of a ring vortex state that, uh, is the bane of the existence of anyone in a hover, isn't it? Oh, no, not if you stay in a hover. Ah. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so VRS is something which I used to be flight instructing. As soon as you talk about vortex ring state, you see this fear come over <laughs> students' eyes and whatever. The trouble is, of course, then they start looking at their instrumentation. Previously, they didn't really look at their instrumentation. Yeah. looked at flight and flight, the attitude and all this sort of thing. So VRS, look, I mean, I've experienced it um, once or twice in my 25-year flying career. Um, I've been in it plenty of times for demonstration purposes, yeah. uh, you know, doing endorsements and whatever. But it's it's something you're cognizant of, but it's not as if it haunts me. I don't wake up at night and go, BRS. But I imagine it's you face into wind when you're hovering and you're always ready to push forward to get out of it or things like well, that. Well, it doesn't mean, as you know, the rotor disc doesn't know which way the wind's coming yeah. from. So it's less about pointing into wind, really. It's about just maintaining a height because okay. and, and the, 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 it's, uh, it's, it's look as you, you guys obviously have an understanding of it. There's a, a number of parameters that sort of have to line up for it to happen. Yeah. It's pretty rare for it to happen. The only time I've actually been actually when I was filming for the Red Bull Air Race in Perth back in oh, yeah. back in I did that for four years, and I was in a Robinson R44 and I was sitting up at 1,200 feet, kind of you know, and I was my mind was wandering. I've been up there for an hour and a half, <laughs> and I did let a little rate of descent start to happen. Yeah. But the signs and the cues of it impending happening is actually quite noticeable. All of a sudden, it starts to get a bit wishy-washy, and yeah. so I wasn't—I was sort of half asleep. But you know, it's oh, hang on a minute, and I just <laughs> like you said, yeah. lower the power, just nose it forward a little bit, and you fly out of the bubble, as yeah. it were. So look, it's not. Like something you get taught, and but it's you know it's yeah. I think that's probably enough. About we'll that. come back to the Red Bull Air Race since we're talking about Red Bull Air Race helicopters. Sure. Um, how's your operational tempo these days? We're here on you know at Surface Paradise. I imagine you'd be pretty pretty busy most of the year round. Yeah, look uh, with our uh, Westpac sponsorship, our agreement, they they sort of uh, working with Lifesaving. They said, well, this is where we have maximum effect. You know, it's not at a bottomless pit of money. So we fly every weekend, every school holidays. Um, and, and public holidays um, in summer in the busy times twice a day in winter less so but that's not they, they don't really make us accountable for that you know if we're if, like on, on Christmas day here where there's 400,000 people on the beach we'll be up and down and if the conditions warrant it yeah. we'll fly and if it's a day where you know notionally we're supposed to fly twice a day and it's like a mill pond out there and it's 13 degrees well there's no point we'll save that for the yeah. opposite of a rainy day type thing. Yeah. So we do. We fly about 600 hours a year um, in the Westpac operation. You mentioned that this is not exactly. You know, this is quite a wide area to come in and land in and things like that. So, 
do you do many uh, roadside evacuations and things like that post crash? Yeah, look, that's not really our bread and butter. Obviously, there's other assets in southeast Queensland. The government uh, rescue 500 and uh, Lifelight have their assets as well. So that's more their bread and butter. They are a full-blown EMS Ooh. helicopter carrying doctors and paramedics on. So that's sort of their their bag. Um, we're we're a little bit outside that scope. Um, outside the Department of Health uh, yeah. Road Crewing Network. Um, so we, we've done plenty of rescues up at Mount Barney and in the, uh, in the hinterland of the Sunshine Coast. Uh, so less of, of that traditional roadside landing, um, but certainly uh, you know, times of national emergency and you know, floods and all that, we're certainly out there with, with the rest yeah. of the boys and girls. You mentioned you're an instructor and you've been in the game for 25 years. Can you tell us a bit more about your flying career? Well, I, uh, I was a uh, helicopter engineer um, before I'm a lamey, I still am actually, my rusty old toolbox is at work, much to the chagrin of my fellow engineers. <laughs> um, and uh, I was working up in Papua New Guinea and uh, got a job as the Chief Engineer of SeaWorld Helicopters. Um, I was in the Army and I've never volunteered for anything, but I, I always joke that my father volunteered me to join the Army when I was 15. <laughs> and I was a helicopter engineer working on Kiowas and mm -hmm. uh, AS350s got out of the army, worked around Australia and Papua New Guinea. And then when I was at SeaWorld Helicopters, uh, the then boss, the late, great Gary Liam, uh, who's actually my brother-in-law, um, God rest his soul, uh, encouraged me to get my pilot license. And so I did, and the rest is history. Um, did the obligatory flying around uh, Uluru, Uluru type stuff, tourist stuff, then the traditional pathways, become an instructor. And then I worked for a, um, a company in uh, in Perth, Western Australia, Heli West, for 10 or so years. When we started, we had two helicopters on the left, we had 36 helicopters, <laughs> pretty much riding on the back of the mining boom in the mid 2000s. Uh, I worked with uh, Andrew Forrest and and uh, you know Fortescue and Rio and all those big players up there and built a massive base. And a, huge fleet and yeah. end up being the general manager but then uh, change of family circumstances came back to the Gold Coast and flew the first Polair helicopter here on the Gold Coast and uh, then Surf Lifesaving won that contract after the trial. Uh, I'd known Bertie and the boys at Surf Lifesaving. I was endorsed in BO105s which was the original police helicopter yeah. and so I joined Surf uh, back in 2012 or 13. And uh, since then, I've flown the police Polair and the Westpac helicopter, as all our pilots do. Do you um, do you need to actually be a constable or anything like that in the police to fly the helicopter? Not in Queensland. Some other jurisdictions, mm. New South Wales, you get sworn in as a special constable. You probably do the knife and fork sort of course. Uh, Victoria is the same. Western Australia, I'm not sure about. South Australia and Queensland are civilian contractors as, as we are. Yeah. Um, so we have an awareness of how the police operate. You know, you learn by osmosis. I've been there for 10 years. I was kind of there on day one. Um, but no, no, I mean, they won't, I don't, they've taken one look at me, won't give me a gun. I think it's probably the line in, line in the sand. <laughs> are you still doing instructing these days? No, no, I gave that up uh, long ago. Uh, no, no instructing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a line check guy in, in, in our um, training and checking system, but as far as Abinicio training. No. Yeah. no one's trying to kill you lately. <laughs> Thinking back to the Red Bull Air Race, of course, um, I can't think of the pilot's name, but Jörg, someone or other, I think, that flies that, that helicopter oh, there and does Jörg all sorts Fleischmann. of aerobatics. Jörg so, Fleischmann. what do you make of that? <laughs> yeah, look, I, in fact, that's an interesting story. So, Jörg, um, uh, I, I know well, and his son, uh, Sasha, um, they came out to Perth to scope out 
this little backwater yeah. with the Red Bull Air Race. No, in fact, it was a couple of Aussie guys who were instrumental in bringing the Red Bull Air, who were part of the Red Bull. In fact, one of them was the air boss for a while, Drew Searle. And he he uh, he approached us and said, look, when we bring the Red Bull Air Race to Perth, can you guys, um, in every city they go to, while they've got their BO-105 with the Cineflex camera on, they get a local operator to fly the stills photographer around. And I knew the boys and they said, do you want to do it? And I said, I'm there, yeah. type thing. So, um, they bought their BO-105 out, which is where I um, became aware of the BO-105. And, um, and I did it for four years flying in Jet Ranger and R44 with, the, with their stills guy on, on board and did some great things. Even with Matt Hall, actually, yep. he's here today. We, uh, he was in the RAF back then and I uh, got talking to him and he let me be airborne just outside the box he was doing his Hornet display, which yep. is pretty cool. Oh, I've, got awesome. some, I've got some pretty cool photos of a... Um, the Red Bull Air Race and, a, and, a, and Matt Hall's F-18 formating against yeah, each other, yeah, so it's yeah. pretty... I went to both those events and it was funny that Matt Hall back then was just, just getting into it, wasn't he? It was, yeah. I don't know whether he really knew who he was back then, but uh, yeah, not the case these days. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's uh, he's everywhere, Matty, but uh, I don't think I've spoken to him since those days, as you do, you know, you've all shifts in the night type thing. Yeah, yeah but uh, it was a good event and great for Perth and you can sort of see the embryonic stages of it here on the Gold Coast with the Pacific Air Show. Well, have you, have you, I, I would imagine that you've seen Chuck Aaron's uh, aerobatics in the in the BO. Uh, that that is a BO one hundred and five, isn't it? It is a one hundred and five, uh, heavily modified. I think in his back shed. Yeah. Um, no, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, appara- apparently, it's just stock with only a couple of little mods. It's... Yeah, I've I've met him uh, once, and uh, oh look, it's not something I would I would uh, get into. But you know, hats off to him. He's he's still here and still doing it, and uh, good on him. <laughs> Actually, I think Chuck's actually retired. Uh, he's, hand, yeah. he's handed it and trained somebody else up to fly it and do yeah, do well, all that. But yeah, yeah. I think Tom the, Cruise. <laughs> Didn't he take Tom Cruise before? Yeah, and, and they used him to do the helicopter footage for one of the James Bond movies yeah. uh, in Mixed Square. He's pretty so, handy. Yeah. Pretty but not not really what you do here in the EC135. No, have you seen me doing a barrel roll? There's something wrong. <laughs> oh, oh, it's my last day. <laughs> well, Paul Gibson, thanks very much for spending some time with us. Thanks for the work that you do, and um, um, thanks for putting on a great display here at Pacific Air Show today. Thanks for uh, the interest. Cheers. Cheers. Mandy Henschel from uh, Westpac Lifesaver. Welcome to the uh, show. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me. This yeah. is very exciting. Are you a bit drained, weary, been a long show? It's been a fun couple of days. I'm a little bit weary, but we've had such a fabulous time engaging with our community and just being yep. involved in this air show. It's been unreal. Fantastic. Now, you're the uh, fundraising and events coordinator, I believe. I am, yes. Excellent. So I'm Major the, role. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I get to be out in the community at events like this, so yep. I get to enjoy having that engagement, but then increasing our brand awareness, how good was our helicopter out there on display yeah. today, it was amazing. So it's it's that type of work that we do and events that we hold that help us with our fundraising. Yeah, now, unlike some of the others, you're not getting a lot of, or any, government funding, are you? We do get some government okay. funding, but of course, when you're talking aviation, it's never quite enough, is it? No, so we're, no. very, we're very lucky. Um, however, we're always happy to, to have a little bit more, if possible. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where we lean on our community as well for support and the support we've had at the air show over the last three days has been amazing. Sorry, my voice is going, <laughs> but yeah, it was just, it's been fabulous. So oh, people buying a t-shirt or buying a key ring and a twirly whirly for the kids, having a ball. So it's great. 
So it uh, looks like the merch has been pretty hot. You've uh, got less boxes now than you had before. Thank goodness, because they're all going into the chopper to go back. So it's great. <laughs> we've got less to pack, which is awesome. But yes, the shirts, the hats, all of that have gone really well. So we're very grateful. You have to do a lot of fundraising like this year round to support the operation or do you sort of ramp it up during the, the summer months when there's more people around I assume up here? Yeah so typically we do have a million dollar shortfall each year so that falls on us to try and find that from our community and from business and sponsors so for example we've got the team from Light and Easy here today who have supported us throughout the year and fuel our crew um, then you've got IOR from with fuel and obviously Westpac that's our naming right sponsor we couldn't do it without them so it's all of those sponsors that we have that help us to keep going um, yeah. but of course it's having a million dollar shortfall makes it tricky we, we want to make my personal goal is to have that helicopter in the air every day flying and it's a proactive service so it's obviously a bit harder to sell than a reactive service but we um, we love what we do our boys are so professional and we just want to be out there every day saving lives and how do you go with uh, do you find many in the community who you have helped uh, some of the most vocal to support and and fundraise yeah. and or donate yeah so um un unfortunately they can be a wee bit embarrassed because they've gotten into trouble out in the water um we understand that but we've a couple of community members who were recently rescued are so very grateful for our service and and they were in a lot of trouble had our boys not been there at caloundra to rescue them they would be telling a very different story mm. so we're, they were very grateful and of course they'll support us through events and just trying to get our, our name out there so we're very lucky to have them on board and give us an idea on an average year how many people you would have to go out and assist. Oh, so there would be quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's well, very. Yeah, truck ran out of the water, yeah. Go let's go. Yeah. yeah, we can take off from the from the Esplanade and off we go. That's, but that's, that's not the helicopter ride I was looking for, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be in it's not waving. quite as luxurious as any others, but no, I'd, um, I'd like yeah. to be in to start and in at the end, not just in the end. You'd, you'd you know, like to have food service through it, wouldn't you? <laughs> like, yeah, that would be lovely. <laughs> oh, I'd love to have a have a ride in it, but not because I've been drowning. You know? No, and exactly. I don't know what that hoist is rated to. I mean, I'm not a swim chicken. <laughs> Hence why we all have light and easy. <laughs> but no, we do, like, there's obviously quite a lot. So um, it, it just, obviously, over the summer, we didn't have a great summer when it comes to, to drownings on the Queensland coast. Uh, so it's just getting that message out to everyone, you know, swim between the red and yellow flags because if we can't see you, we can't save you. So it's just vital for people to, to use that common sense and stay between the flags because when you're there, that's when we can help you out. So if any of our listeners want to help contribute from wherever they might be in the world, um, I take it you have a donate on the uh, website? Yes, we do. We're in the process of turning it all over at the moment, ah. but if you go to Westpac Heli QLD, that's our website. But also, please follow us on social media, Westpac Lifesaver Rescue Helicopter Service. That's where we show all our events and what we've been doing, and that's how they, people can support us and get in contact with me. Okay. Thank you that? so much for coming on the show. That's been really good. Thank you so much for having me. We're so grateful to have you over the weekend and having a chat with our, our chief pilot, but it's your support that, that helps us. So thank you very much. Well, there you go, folks. A, a very worthy cause, and if you can do anything to help them out, you don't have to be living in Queensland. Uh, they've got all sorts of opportunities to contribute, and, of course, a few dollars never goes astray. No, it never does. Uh, those machines are very expensive to operate. Uh, we actually have a, a Westpac machine that... Uh, flies up and down the beaches of Adelaide during the summer. So uh, they're mainly looking at for uh, shadows in the water of the creatures that we share the ocean with in summer and uh, making sure that uh, the sharks 
uh, are not uh, being a problem at the beaches of Adelaide. Yeah, yeah, those those uh, you know, those chainsaws that strike from the deep. Yes, uh, uh, yeah, don't, don't don't recommend swimming too close to sharks unless you're doing it on purpose. <laughs> unless you're in a cage or doing some special thing where they're all well fed and not really worried about this new person that flopped into the water next to them. Yeah, so uh, we we get a, well, a lot of shark patrols in in summer. Uh, some of them fixed wing, and then uh, the Westpac helicopter twin squirrel goes up and down. Nice, uh, doing doing some good work. Shark shark patrol, and I'm sure they do a, a rescue on the odd occasion as well when uh, when required to. No doubt, no doubt. So Ben, you've done en route control, aka area control. You've done the Caratha Tower. Now you're doing Adelaide approach departure. Where do you see it going from here for you? Uh, Interesting question. So technically, I now have all the ratings that you can get. Um, Ooh, Pokemon the love. I I have collected them all. Um, get, got both area ratings, both approach ratings, and the aerodrome rating. Uh, but the next move for me, fingers crossed, um, I'm trying to get to to Melbourne Tower. It's a little bit of a an exercise to get into the the bid system for that. So. But ho- hopefully I'll go back to a room with a view soon. Yeah, but at the altitude, you're going to get nosebleeds at first. Yeah, it is It is a very big tower that we have <laughs> at Melbourne. So um, I have been told from the people that work up there, though, it's very solidly built. Yeah. So unless it gets to sort of 50 knot winds, it it's, uh, doesn't start moving. <laughs> That's a major plus. <laughs> That's definitely a major plus. So they're not likely to send you to Essendon or Moorabbin first? Uh well, Moorabbin's a long way from where I live. Um, it's very close to where you live, mm. um, but for for yeah, the the geography of Melbourne, unfortunately, yeah, it would be uh, rather a nightmare to get to uh, to Moorabbin anywhere remotely close to peak hour um, from the tra- the traffic of Melbourne because uh, Grant and I actually live on opposite sides of Melbourne, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, so but Essendon would be great. It's literally about eleven minutes from where I live, but. Uh, Essendon, unfortunately, has uh, a bit of a Gucci posting <laughs> in that uh, it's not a 24-hour location and it is smack in the middle of, of the northern suburbs of Melbourne. So it's uh, much sought after by people at the, uh, the end of their careers where they don't want to do the night shifts anymore and Essendon closes at about 11 o'clock at night so yeah. and then opens again at, uh, at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning. So Society hours, civilised. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Well, so, unfortunately, like even a curfew is uh, not enough for us to close uh, either Adelaide, Sydney, or Sydney uh, approach control at night. So, uh, we still have to go. Um, although we get a little bit more traffic than Sydney does because we get a lot of medevac stuff mm. in South Australia. Yep. Whereas here in Melbourne, we have no curfew, so a wonderful thing it allows around-the-clock operations. And for now, the airport is still far, relatively far away from the civilization that is encroaching some more. So we'll see what happens there over the next ten or twenty years. Yeah, it's it's definitely civilization is definitely catching up to where the airport is. Mm. Uh, but thankfully, we don't yet have the problems of uh, being in the middle of the city, uh, unlike Adelaide, which is. Uh, Basically, right next to the CBD, so uh, a very convenient location, but it's uh, rather noise sensitive. <laughs> well, speaking of noise sensitivity, we should probably wrap up and let people get back to their other podcast episodes or whatever they're supposed to be doing instead of listening to us. So, Ben, thanks very much for coming on the show. 
Uh, thanks for having us back. Uh, hopefully, uh, we can do it in happier circumstances next time. Um, we don't have to cart Steve off to the hospital just to get me back on the show. <laughs> it's um, a convenient excuse, and some people have asked, did you do it and make him have this uh, operation just to get on the show? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think I'd go quite that far. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think I'd much rather, and I think he would much rather, I just, you know, paid him in the uh, traditional Australian method of here's a slab. Um, so yeah, yeah. He, I, th- I think he'd much rather that. But uh, no, in all seriousness, uh, Steve, I uh, hope you get well soon. Uh, I know it's going to be a pretty hard road, and uh, but you'll, you'll definitely get through it. It'll... it'll you'll be coming forward leaps and bounds in no time that's the one mate and uh, yeah we're definitely wishing you well Steve hopefully you're listening to this and going I'm already better what are you on about but for now you can find us on social media as Playing Crazy Down Under or PCDU and you can always contact us via our email which is contact at playingcrazydownunder.com if you want to reach out to us and we'd love to hear from you until next time this is Grant McCarran and Ben Ippolito wishing Steve a fast recovery and wishing you all very safe flying Take care and we'll talk to you again soon. Cheers, folks. Find show notes for this episode along with our contact details and a full back catalogue of shows at plaincrazydownunder.com. Drop us a line anytime with feedback, story suggestions or advertising inquiries. We'd love to hear from you. Title music is You Name It by Brian Simpson. Plain Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies media production. Southern Skies Media.